In this episode, we discuss the Dialogic OD Toolkit and how leveraging Dialogic-based tools can both generate and accelerate breakthrough results when solving for a complex adaptive challenge. Welcome to another episode of All Things OD, where I'm here to help you offer more, be more, and live more. Whether you're serving as an OD practitioner, change management professional, or business transformation consultant. I'm your host, Randall Scott, and it's great to be with you here today. As mentioned, in today's episode, we're going to discuss the Dialogic OD Toolkit, and in particular, seven key Dialogic-based tools that I use to help solve complex adaptive challenges. You'll also learn why Dialogic tools are so effective at solving complex challenges. And lastly, you'll learn how remarkably different Dialogic OD tools are from the traditional Diagnostic OD Toolkit. Now, before we begin, I want to offer you a free resource that complements our discussion today, and that is a free 90-minute workshop on 10 strategies that you can use to elevate, revitalize, and transform your career. If you've been wanting to develop yourself professionally or lacked either the time or money, then this capability development training is for you. You can access the free training at henosispartners.com slash workshop, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can click on the link in the description below. All right, let's jump in. Increasingly, as OD change leaders, we are being asked to help facilitate and solve for complex adaptive challenges. But the tools needed to solve this variety of challenge are remarkably different from the tools needed to solve merely complicated challenges. To be effective as an OD change leader today, it requires both knowing of and being proficient in use of the Dialogic OD Toolkit. Hence, in this episode, we discuss the following Dialogic OD tools. Innovation sequences. Container building, or creating the conditions for change. Narrative and story harvesting, leveraging participatory narrative inquiry. Large group process methods. Inner work, that is, the work of transforming one's limiting beliefs and patterns. Generative dialogue, and looking specifically at the quality of our listening and conversing. And coaching, at an organization level, team level, and individual level. So let's understand each of these dialogic tools next. So the first tool that we discuss are innovation sequences. So what are innovation sequences? Well, innovation sequences represent the dance moves in bringing about systemic-based transformative change. You could think of innovation sequences as a design architecture to help solve for a complex adaptive challenge. Specifically, they represent an intentionally structured sequence of strategic conversations and dialogic-based actions to produce the desired result whether trying to resolve a conflict, vision the future, or exploit an emerging opportunity. And the significance of leveraging innovation sequences is that they can spark and often result in broader team and leadership engagement, greater innovations, and sustainable transformative change that is simply not possible 
with other change approaches. Innovation sequences are also one manifestation of the hybrid OD strategic learning model. If you're interested in hybrid OD, you can go to henosispartners.com slash hybrid OD and download a free ebook. With that brief introduction to innovation sequences, let's understand them a bit more deeply. It's important to know that innovation sequences manifest in different ways at different levels. At macro level or 10,000 foot level, innovation sequences manifest as trying to facilitate four shifts. The first shift that we try to facilitate when solving a complex adaptive challenge is to create a shared understanding of what the challenge, problem, or issue is. Ironically, the root of the problem or challenge or issue is that there is likely a lack of shared understanding amongst key stakeholders, which is resulting in the current day issue. With having facilitated that shift, we then try to facilitate shift number two, which is creating a shared intention of what to do. That is, to facilitate establishing a common goal to get all system actors rowing in the same direction. And in creating a shared understanding of the challenge, problem, or issue, and a shared intention on what to do about it, it naturally leads to facilitating the third shift, which is about creating aligned actions, both collectively and individually. And lastly, and unbeknownst to all, you as the OD change leader are trying to initiate the most important shift of all, which is to transform relations all along the way. So this is what an innovation sequence looks like at macro level. We try to initiate or facilitate four shifts of creating a shared understanding, a shared intention, aligning of actions, and transforming relations of key stakeholders all along the way. At meso level or 1,000 foot level, innovation sequences reflect the hybrid OD model, and in particular, the three sequences that make up the hybrid OD model the diagnostic sequence where we're planning to learn, the dialogic sequence where we're inquiring to learn, and the experiential sequence where we're discovering to learn. Together, all three sequences provide us a powerful, accretive, problem-solving methodology. And lastly, innovation sequences manifest at micro-level or ground-level. At ground-level, innovation sequences begin with conducting diagnostic-based tasks to harvest and expose difference in a system. The tasks we perform are conducting dialogue interviews, performing data and document harvesting, conducting surveys, pattern spotting, conducting assessments, and conducting focus groups. The diagnostic sequence, as mentioned, is the first sequence of the hybrid OD model. At micro or ground level, the next sequence in the hybrid OD model, the dialogic sequence, manifests at multiple scales. For example, we can design dialogic events of a few days, processes of several months, or platforms that operate for years. This is about leveraging difference. It is within the dialogic sequence that we design for and execute the strategic conversational architecture that we spoke of earlier whereby we're intentional with designing specific conversations to achieve our hoped-for goals. And lastly, in the experiential sequence of the hybrid OD model, innovation sequences conclude with conducting micro-experiments that are inspired by learnings from system actors that are participating in the dialogic-based event. This reflects integrating difference in a follow-the-energy way.
In the experiential sequence, we initiate probes or micro-experiments to help us take us from where we are to where we want to be. Now, to succeed with innovation sequences, we also need to be skilled at building containers. So what is a container? Well, container is a space, either virtual or physical, in which dialogue occurs and where dialogue is the principal tool to solve for complex adaptive problems, issues, challenges, or opportunities amongst a diverse group of committed and concerned stakeholders. And to succeed with building an effective container, it begins by setting the proper context. And in fact, this is where we become very intentional about orchestrating a particular context. A context, for example, that reflects solving for a complex adaptive challenge. That is, some pressure exists amongst the group or team to solve for a complex challenge. In addition to this context reflecting a certain pressure, we're also wanting to be intentional about orchestrating a context where there is an interdependence, there's an entanglement amongst and between the various stakeholders. We're wanting to establish a context where there is diversity, both cognitive and demographic diversity. And in fact, our goal when establishing such context is to maximize diversity. That is to maximize both cognitive and demographic diversity. Another aspect of the context that we're looking to create is to establish dynamic interactions, exchanges, and connections amongst and between those participating in the change effort. We're also wanting to ensure that we have dialogic engagement, as opposed to a debate or a discussion. By default, in establishing a container, we're looking to create a context where there is a form of containment, again, either physical or virtual. And the goal here is to get the system into the room. That is to assemble a diverse group of key stakeholders from across the system that represent the different perspectives and point of views of the system. Introducing and leveraging constraints are also another key element in orchestrating our context. We are purposefully and intentionally introducing constraints around the different connections that are occurring amongst and between people, the different types of exchanges that we're architecting amongst and between people. Constraints could also reflect different attractors that we're using or not using to drive certain dialogue, thinking, and behaviors, and establishing boundaries in terms of who's involved in the change effort and who isn't also represents a designed constraint. Another element of the context that we're looking to intentionally orchestrate is to make sure that it's a welcoming space, that it's open, inviting, and hospitable for all involved. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, is that we establish a psychological safety, a certain amount of trust, through establishing team agreements that all can live by. Now, the reason that we go through so much trouble to establish a certain context is that in establishing such context, it creates or generates a certain ambiance or climate within the container itself. And the climate or ambiance that we're wanting to be intentional about is to generate a climate that is reflective of autocatalytic dynamics, of conflicting intention. We're wanting to create a climate where disruption exists, uncertainty, turbulence, and maybe even stress. We're wanting to generate 
and ambiance or climate where direct and indirect feedback loops exist. We're also wanting to create a climate that results in rapidly changing needs. Perhaps the most characteristic element of the climate that we're looking to establish is nonlinear emergence, and this occurring through the multiple different random interactions that are occurring amongst and between stakeholders that participate in a change effort. And lastly, we're wanting to make sure that we have a climate of trust and community. So one question I'm often asked is why would we want to create this type of climate? A climate where there's conflicting intention. A climate where there's disruption, uncertainty, and turbulence. Well, it's because this type of climate or environment evokes the necessary adaptive behaviors to help us realize our hoped-for outcomes. Specifically, the type of adaptive behaviors that we're looking to evoke are creativity and innovation, a challenging of one's assumptions, changing of mindsets, an aggregation or bonding of ideas from you to me and me to you, and transformative learning, where we're learning about the different meaning perspectives that exist across a broader system. In addition to evoking these adaptive behaviors to help us realize our hoped-for outcomes, we're also wanting to evoke new narratives and generative images of what could be, of what the future state might look like. We're wanting to evoke a self-reflection, a self-awareness from all involved, both individually and collectively for the system. We're wanting to evoke a self-organization of getting individuals to initiate change in a follow-the-energy way. And as part of that, we're wanting to evoke the behavior of correlated action, where people are aligned to achieve a common goal. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, we're wanting to evoke storytelling amongst and between people. That is, we're wanting to evoke people being vulnerable with one another. So in summary then, with container building, we start off by trying to establish the proper context. And in creating the right context, it generates the right ambiance or climate to evoke new adaptive behaviors to help us realize our hoped-for outcomes. Next, we discuss the dialogic tool of narrative and story harvesting, reflecting specifically the use of participatory narrative inquiry. Story harvesting is often an early step within the diagnostic sequence and relies on knowing how to establish or create effective containers. So what is narrative and story harvesting? Well, narrative story harvesting is a dialogic-based tool whereby groups of people participate in gathering and working with raw stories of personal experience in order to make sense of complex challenges and to improve group decision-making. Participatory Narrative Inquiry, or PNI, emphasizes the following things. It emphasizes collecting raw stories of personal experience, of maximizing diversity of perspectives and experiences. It emphasizes interpretation of stories by those who tell them. PNI also emphasizes pattern harvesting, identifying themes of what's emerging from the raw stories. And lastly, it emphasizes group sense-making. Story harvesting is a powerful mechanism of change, as there's a certain magic that occurs with storytelling 
Storytelling is an approach that draws people in. It fosters suspension of self-interests, which allows for active listening of others. Story harvesting often results in changed seeing, thinking, acting, and feeling of those that are participating in the change effort. And the key thing to know about storytelling or story harvesting is that story is a socially accepted package of sharing that leads to open inquiry, individual vulnerability, and profound change. And it's this open inquiry, vulnerability, and profound change that results in greater depths of insight into complex topics and issues. I would encourage you to use participatory narrative inquiry in the work that you do to solve your complex organizational challenges. If you're interested in learning more about PNI, I would encourage you also to read the book Working with Stories by Cynthia Kurtz. Next, we discuss the use of large group process methods as another example of a dialogic OD tool. And the importance of using large group process methods is that the stories that we've harvested within the diagnostic sequence are leveraged using a large group process method. And there are over 60 large group process methods that an OD change leader could utilize to solve for a complex adaptive challenge. If you're interested in learning more about large group process methods, I would encourage you to read the Change Handbook by Peggy Holman. And such methods can be leveraged either one-off or in combination with one another to amplify the potential for transformative change to occur. Some examples of large group process methods are the following. The World Cafe. Open Space Technology. The Circle Method. Appreciative Inquiry. Future Search, The Conference Model, Human System Dynamics, Scenario Planning, and many, many more. If you're interested in getting training in any of these specific large group process methods, I might encourage you to look for Art of Hosting events. In such events, you'll learn of the first four methods that I mentioned of the World Cafe, Open Space Technology, the Circle Method, and Appreciative Inquiry. You can find such training events at theartofhosting.org. Another key tool within the Dialogic OD Toolkit is to make use of generative dialogue. To succeed with hosting and facilitating large group processes leveraging the methods we just talked about, one must also be an expert with facilitating generative dialogue amongst diverse others. And generative dialogue is a rare type of conversation within organizations that reflects and embodies a different spirit. There's a different energy to it. In the book Dialogue, The Art of Thinking Together by William Isaacs, he discusses the various types of conversations that one could engage in, where often the difference between engaging in a generative dialogue versus engaging in more of a debate has to do with our ability or willingness to suspend our absolute certainties, that is, to listen without resistance, to disidentify from who we are and what we think, to consider other point of views and perspectives. To the extent that we suspend and redirect our seeing and thinking, 
we're able to engage in a generative dialogue. To the extent that we're not, we often devolve into more of a debate. And so generative dialogue is a remarkably different form of conversation than debate, where debate or a discussion reflects thinking alone, where the goal is about winning, about coming to one right answer or one right conclusion. It's often combative in nature, where the goal is to find flaws in others' arguments. It reflects closed-mindedness, defending and sustaining one's position, and debate or discussion often is convergent in nature, that is, seeking closure. And this form of conversation is remarkably different than dialogue, which reflects a thinking together, which is more about learning than it is about winning, that it's more about finding a solution together than trying to find one right answer, that it's more about being collaborative than combative, and finding one's strengths in others' point of views than pointing out one's flaws. It's about maintaining an open-mindedness, and as such, dialogue is about seeking new options, which speaks to the generative nature of dialogue itself. Another key tool that falls within the Dialogic OD Toolkit is coaching. Coaching of leaders, teams, and individuals. And being skilled in generative dialogue, as we just talked about, will help us be better coaches. And the reason for this is that dialogic-based change initiates at three different levels that require effective OD change leader coaching. At organization level, the coaching that we often engage in is to help leaders see, think, act, and feel in new ways about what it means to be a leader in today's organizations. We coach on the need for leaders to let go of control, to therefore let come of being able to serve others. We coach on that dialogic change is less about achieving certain outcomes than facilitating and deepening learning for all involved. And we coach on the need to experiment our way forward in that we can only see 20 feet ahead of us at any given moment when trying to solve a complex adaptive challenge. It's the equivalent of driving a car in the fog. At team level, we coach on team effectiveness, and specifically the good and bad behaviors that result in a team achieving high performance to achieve its goals. We coach on the need to establish team agreements on what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. We coach on experimentation, the iterative method, and how the use of such method is necessary when trying to solve for complex adaptive challenges. And lastly, we coach on learning in the flow of work, on helping individuals and teams identify practice fields of opportunity to begin role modeling the new. At individual level, our coaching reflects engaging in inner work to transform individuals' limiting beliefs and patterns. Our coaching often reflects identifying underlying assumptions and challenging such assumptions. And lastly, our coaching reflects educating on the need for self-reflection, on helping individuals develop a self-awareness of one's seeing, thinking, acting, and feeling. And while all three forms of coaching is necessary, coaching at an individual level reflects a higher leverage point to bring about meaningful change than coaching at either team or organizational level. Mm -hmm. 
Lastly, we discuss the dialogic tool of engaging in inner work, that is, transforming one's limiting beliefs and patterns. Ultimately, to be successful with realizing transformative change, to solve any complex adaptive challenge, it requires skillfully addressing the highest leverage point of change, which is inner work. So what do we mean by inner work, and in particular, what do we mean by limiting beliefs? Well, let's first get clear on some definitions. We define belief as something that's believed. It's an opinion or conviction that one holds about something. And we define limiting as serving to restrict or restrain. Limiting confers or connotes something being confining in some way. And so together then, how do we define limiting belief? Well, a limiting belief is a belief that is restrictive, confining in some way. That is, it has limiting or diminished reactivity associated with it. It's a belief that limits us individually and collectively in terms of our potential to realize transformative change. And the reason that this is true is that limiting beliefs impact how we communicate and how we act towards others, and therefore influences the ways that we create and participate in change efforts. And this is only amplified when we hold power and influence. Visually, we can think of limiting beliefs as what we think. And as we'll talk about in just a moment, what we think is a function of what we see. And ultimately, it's our limiting beliefs that influence how we feel and therefore how we act. The challenge or trouble is, is that the effects are amplified from our seeing to our thinking to our feeling to ultimately how we act. So what can we do to transform limiting beliefs and patterns in others? Well, the intervention starts with a self-awareness. Self-awareness, as we'll talk about in just a moment, is the key to realize transformative change, as increased self-awareness results in changing how we listen to others. And how we listen to others results in changes to how we converse with others. And when we're listening more effectively and conversing more effectively, it ultimately results in improving what is possible in terms of change. So if self-awareness is the key to realize transformative change, what can we do as OD change leaders to increase self-awareness amongst the individuals that we work with? Well, one thing that we could do is to help individuals develop a self-awareness of one's seeing and thinking. We refer to this as in-the-moment awareness. And with in-the-moment awareness, we're simply observing our seeing and thinking. That is, we're not reacting. In fact, what we're doing is the opposite. We're suspending and redirecting our efforts to focus on others' perspectives and point of views. And when we hear things of a disconfirming nature or that might trigger us in some way, we're wanting to have enough self-awareness to follow the disturbance back to its source, to understand why it is that we're thinking and feeling the way that we do. So getting individuals to be self-aware of one seeing and thinking in the moment is one thing that we could do as OD change leaders. Another thing that we could do is to develop a self-awareness amongst individuals that our brain can be thought of as a thought factory. This reflects more of a metaphorical form of awareness. And when we reflect this form of self-awareness, we realize that we are not our thoughts, that we're above thought, that we're beyond thought. And it's when we reflect this form or level of awareness 
that we just simply notice our thoughts. We dangle them in front of us to determine whether the thoughts serve us or not. Further, we try to develop a self-awareness in others that we are the general manager of the factory. And so in that regard, we control our thoughts as opposed to our thoughts controlling us. This gets back to my earlier statement that we are not our thoughts, that we are above thought, that we are beyond thought. So getting individuals to develop a metaphorical awareness of our brain as a thought factory is another tactic that we could employ to help realize transformative change. And finally, we could get individuals to develop a self-awareness of one's mental models. We refer to this as an always-on form of self-awareness. Always-on in the sense that we'll be more successful with realizing transformative change to the extent that people are aware of their underlying assumptions, values, and limiting beliefs. That people have a full awareness of their sort of default habits of expectation towards things in life. And that they understand their own mental and behavioral triggers. So personally, I have found all of these tactics to be successful in helping raise self-awareness with individuals and teams that I'm working with. We help to develop the in-the-moment awareness of one seeing and thinking. We help to develop a metaphorical awareness of one's brain as a thought factory. And we help to develop an always-on awareness of one's mental models. In addition to educating individuals and teams on improving their self-awareness, You'll also want to work with teams and individuals to improve the quality of their listening and the quality of their conversing. And so the way that you can do this is to educate on the four levels of listening and conversing. At level one listening, this reflects more of us downloading what we already know. That is, we're listening from habit. This form of listening reflects us listening within our own construct, that is, within our own ego. And it's at this level of listening that results in a form of conversing that can only be described as politeness, which does not result in any meaningful transformative type of change. Level 2 listening can be described as more factual listening, where we're listening from outside our construct, that is, outside of our ego. We're listening from the periphery of things and noticing disconfirming data from what we already know. This level of listening often results in more of a debate style of conversing. Level 3 listening reflects more empathic listening, where it's listening from within the shoes of another. That is, we're connecting with others both emotionally and cognitively. And it's at this level of listening that produces a dialogic or dialogue-based form of conversing. And finally, at level 4 listening, we refer to this as more generative listening, which is listening from the field of what wants to emerge. And this type of patient, silent forms of listening result in a generative form of conversing, what we might refer to as collective creativity. And so as you can see, as we traverse from level one listening of listening from our habits to level four listening of listening from the field, there is a noticeably different quality of listening. And it's our quality of listening, as we talked about earlier, that ultimately results in the types of conversations that we're having. And so we can summarize in saying that succeeding with change, succeeding with bringing about transformative change and solving for a complex adaptive challenge, is ultimately a function of the quality of our conversation, which is itself the quality of our listening, and as we've talked about earlier, 
the quality of our listening is a function of the depth of our self-awareness. As difficult as inner work is, as difficult as it is to transform limiting beliefs and patterns in others and a broader group that you might be working with, engaging this tool from the Dialogic OD Toolkit will offer you the highest leverage for change. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you found the content in this episode helpful. Please share your comments below, and if you like this video, hit the subscribe button and click the bell to get notified of all future weekly episodes. Also, don't forget to get your free resource. If you're watching on YouTube, click the link in the description below, or you can visit henosispartners.com workshop. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.